Ladies and gentlemen. Good evening. Are you ready? Okay, here we go. You're listening to the Deal Room Podcast. Join us as we bring you the inside scoop on business sales and acquisitions. Get across trends in the area and hear the industry's best recount their real-life tips, traps, and experiences. Now, here's your host, Joanna Oki. Hi, it's Joanna Oki here and welcome back to the Deal Room Podcast, a podcast proudly brought to you by our commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. Now, today we have on the show the fabulous Nicole Siegel from our very own Aspect Legal here to talk to us all about franchising and in particular, the top legal tips when buying a franchise. So if you're looking at potentially acquiring a franchise, or uh, you're just interested in finding out a little bit about the process and tips and tricks, then this one is for you. Tune in to uh, this whole episode with our very own Nicole from Aspect Legal talking about the top legal tips when buying a franchise. Here we go. Wonderful, Nicole. Thank you so much for joining us on the Deal Room podcast today. My pleasure. Brilliant. Okay, so let's get stuck into it. So, of course, today we're talking about the top legal tips when buying a franchise. But maybe let's um, let's step back one before we talk about the legal tips in buying a franchise. Let's talk about why someone who is looking to uh, get into a business um, might consider buying a franchised rather than a non-franchised business. Okay, great question. So there's many reasons someone would buy a franchise. Uh, In some respects, it's actually easier uh, for someone to buy a franchise and to start their own business. The franchise would already have their own brand and their own systems and their own Mm. marketing campaign and their own way of doing it. Franchisees usually have a high rate of success than a startup business. Most startup businesses fail, um, but franchisees, because of the marketing, the system, the brand, the awareness, um, some, they can be quite successful. And franchisees often have an established reputation and image, proven work practices, advertising, and often you can learn from the franchisor's own experience. So they may have had a number of franchisors and made mistakes along the way and given those tips to the franchisee so they don't make the same mistakes. Mm. Franchisors also generally provide assistance in identifying suitable business locations. So when a franchisee is looking to start up, a franchisor might know the area, might know the main roads, might know the shopping centres, might know the places nearby to avoid. So that's also a really good incentive. Mm, I guess there's two types of franchises that you, you could start a greenfield site, so you could start a new site, or you could buy an existing franchise as well, Correct. right? So That's I right. guess there's those two elements. But maybe, sorry, I cut you off. Let's finish this list, but then maybe let's come back to looking at, you know, what are the benefits of the established um, franchisee versus, you know, buying that business versus just you, you know, taking um, a franchise in a greenfield site. So, but but sorry, I interrupted you, Nicole, very rudely. We will finish <laughs> of why why might we buy a franchise in the first place? Franchisors also generally provide ongoing support, training, knowledge, uh, and they might have specific business models that can really tailor it and be specific to the franchisee. And buying a franchise might be cheaper than starting your own business. Yeah. So yeah. when you start your own business, there's obviously a huge amount of um, 
costs involved, but the franchise model might be more streamlined. You might know exactly what the cost will be um, with with the franchise costs as well as the startup costs, the rental costs, all those needs to be taken into account. Mm. So coming back to your question, why you would buy a with the franchise, you could either buy an existing, say, mm. existing business, for example, that's already in a shopping centre. They might already have a great reputation. They might have existing customers and are well-known. So that's yeah. a huge advantage. So you know what you're getting effectively, you, you know. Absolutely. You know mm. what you're getting and customers may not even realise that there's been a change of ownership. It's just could be pretty streamlined. Uh Otherwise, you can actually just start up a new franchise in a different area or different territory and then start from scratch, create it from scratch um, and then get your own client or customer base that mm. way. Mm. So, and, and obviously, you, you know, the benefits of buying, as we said, the established um, the established business is that it's already up and running, you know, you know, the performance in the geographic area, you know, that there's the, it takes the guesswork away. Absolutely. Um, in that sense. But, you know, um, uh, I guess you're having to pay a bit more because you're actually having to buy the established business. But Correct. Um, certainly that's the benefits of it. It's there, you can see how it operates. And, and you're buying the grid goodwill often. When yeah. You're- when you're exactly. buying the established business, so and so you've you've got your client base up and running exactly, and and you know from a from a funding perspective, I think that you, you know that can also be um, uh, you know something that's an assistance because here's something that you can prove that already has uh, accounts that run with the business. Okay, right. so then let's talk about what are the top tips when buying a franchise and I guess the corollary of that is where can things go wrong what should we be looking out for what are, what are the tips so the first thing I would do or I advise a client to do is you obviously need to do your research you really need to understand the, the franchise business uh, you should talk to existing franchisees if possible that's you know what that's such a good and it should be obvious shouldn't it but I yeah. feel like that's something that isn't necessarily obvious to people and it's such a good point because there's people who are in there who are working the system and can tell you their their honest opinion on how how the system's working for them. Absolutely and when you actually get into the um, franchise model the franchisor has to give you a disclosure document which actually lists all the names and addresses of the existing franchisees so it could be pretty easy. So you can ask them basic questions, you know, have you made the income you thought you would make? Uh, how long has it taken to recover your investment costs? What's the training been like? What marketing support has there been? Did it meet your expectations? Would mm. you recommend it to your friends? So, you know, there's really a lot of information you can actually gain mm. uh, from just doing proper research. Mm. That's what a fabulous tip. I love it, Nicole. That, that's a stellar <laughs> tip. <laughs> what, else have, uh, what else have you got in there in your bag of tips? Well, um, you obviously need to consider the costs to work out your finances. So there's, always, there's going to be upfront costs. There's going to be ongoing costs. And these might include uh, ongoing monthly royalty fees, marketing fees. Uh, there might be product fees if you're purchasing products from the franchisor your rental costs, uh, because it's a franchise, you might 
your agreement might actually require you to get audited reports. The franchisor is clear in exactly how much income the business is generating. So all these fees are really critical for you to understand, is a business going to make you money and is it worth it? Mm. Excellent. Okay. And so, and, and I guess some of this is part of that due diligence that you'll want to do at the beginning. Absolutely. Um, you know, and, and I guess also understanding the franchise um, agreement um, and understanding the franchisor as well must, you know, also plays a large role. Absolutely. Because look, there have been um, many situations, for example, the last few years, uh, ASIC recently investigated retail food group and that mm. owns uh, Glory Jeans, Donut King, Brumbies and Krusty's Pizza. And while there were no enforcement um, measures taken, many franchisors complained that uh, retail food group um, Really, the whole model was to take all the money away from the franchisees and many franchisees lost their life savings, their home, Mm. their marriage, their Mm. house, their everything. So it's really important that you, I guess, have a trusting relationship with your franchisor and at least a good relationship with your franchisor. And if it works well, everyone should be making money. It shouldn't just be the franchisor making money and the franchisee, you know, working their guts out and losing. It mm. should be the franchisor making money because all the franchisees are making money. Mm. That's that's the balance that obviously is there for a successful franchise model. Mm. And so apart from, you know, fully understanding the figures, which I think is a great point of yours, um, fully understanding your rights and obligations under the franchise agreement, that your point about, you know, get talking to other franchisees is such a good one because you can really start to, and, and the questions that you gave us, I think are a great insight into how you really understand what will this look like if you're, you know, when you're running um, that, that business. Uh, what, and what do you think, you know, on reflection were the things that the franchisees who had bought into some of these franchise groups that um, have have hit the media, what do you think perhaps um, fell down in what could what could have been warning signs for them in moving into these businesses that it was it was a franchise that had risk for them? Yeah, I think the warning signs may have been that they didn't speak because now so many are all coming out to complain about you know the huge problems with the business model, but all these businesses look fantastic, and we all grew up with um you know Brumbies or Glory Jeans or, or mm. whatever it may be, and it just yeah. it's so recognisable. You immediately assume that it would be a great business. Yeah. So I think it's really about dig, digging deeper and understanding what actually happens and doing the maths in terms of how much money do you need to actually bring in to actually generate an income without it going back to all the fees and charges and royalties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is such a good point. And, and you know, if, if you cast your mind back, um, can you think of any examples that you've seen of some great examples of positive stories of clients you've dealt with who've bought into a franchise or an existing business in a franchise and then, you know, really kick some goals? And I, I must say, I'll, I'll throw in here first, I, um, I've had a lot of discussions recently with uh, franchisees who've brought, bought into certain 
certain franchises and, and it's just worked so well that they then go and buy multiple locations Absolutely. of the same franchise. And, you Absolutely. know, I think that um, that must be a signal and and perhaps in part of your due diligence as well, being aware of how many multiple franchise owners there is within the franchise because maybe that's a bit of an indication that, you know, people are getting in, seeing it works and then, you know, buying yeah. more in the group. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And the converse side of that is the litigation. So in the disclosure document, you see how many franchisees are buying multiple um, franchises, but then the franchisor has to disclose the litigation. And obviously, if there's a lot of litigation against the franchisor, that's a big red flag and mm. do you really want to get involved with them? Mm, yes, that's such another good tip. You're giving us some pearls <laughs> today, Nicole. I love it. I love it. <laughs> okay, well, and of course, as I do, I cut in and I just had so many questions, but how about you continue on? Are there any other tips that you feel like we haven't? Yeah, well, it's also obviously important to understand the territory. So the yeah. way both franchises work is that you have specific geographic area that you can trade in. Not all franchises have that model. For example, 7-Eleven, uh, you know, particularly in the CBD, there's often a 7-Eleven across the road from each other and, you know, it's just good luck which side of the road people are literally walking on. <laughs> so, that that might be okay um, for those sort of high volume areas, but, you know, it, it might not. So, just really understand what territory you're buying, how exclusive is it um, and how large it is. So mm. that's that's obviously going to impact your business. Mm. And by the same token, you need to look at the restrictive covenants. So after some franchises are terminated, you may not be able to operate a similar business for a similar amount of years. So that might be okay. Say you have a Toyota franchise and once the agreement's finished, you're not going to be able to be, have a Toyota dealership, that might be okay. But if you have an accounting franchise, for example, and you're an accountant, mm. then you've got to think very carefully, well, after that franchise agreement ends, you might be banned or or restricted from providing accounting services for a number of years in a specific geographic region. And that might be where your livelihood is and your skill base. So I think you need to be very careful. Such a good point, isn't it? And I guess that's about, that comes back to as well, getting the right advice from someone who understands what it is that you're entering into in the context of the broader perspective of what you might want to be doing in the future as well. So, you know, it's sort of this this commercial legal approach uh, about um, firstly understanding what's there, secondly understanding what is common in the industry. So I think that's a useful, you know, that also talks to the benefit of, uh, you know, getting advice for people from people who actually understand franchising and what the, your particular situation looks like in comparison to the norm um, so that you have, you, you know, that opportunity. If there is the opportunity of negotiation, then you have a stronger footing for that. And if there isn't, then at least you know where you stand. Absolutely, absolutely. And obviously speaking to a lawyer is critical in all this. Lawyers are going to carefully review the franchise agreement, the disclosure documents. They'll advise you of the risks and the pitfalls. They'll also identify all the fees in the documents. Sometimes mm. people are Disclosure documents can be 50 to 100 pages. So sometimes people may not be aware of all the fees. Mm. Um, and a good lawyer will obviously be able to negotiate with the franchisor and get you a better deal. So that's mm. that's 
could make all the difference. That's such a good point. I just want to, you know, I just want to highlight that because this is another point I think sometimes people um, misunderstand and feel like because the agreement comes to them in a certain way, that's it. You, you know, they're often is the opportunity for negotiation as well. So it's about understanding that element. And I just wanted to highlight that. Absolutely. Look, everything's negotiable. Every agreement's negotiable, whether you're negotiating with McDonald's or the government or whoever, Optus or Telstra, whoever it is, there's always room for negotiation. And I think people shouldn't be scared of negotiating and lawyers are obviously very used to it. That's what we do all day, Mm. every day. So we're, we're trained to it, to do um, to negotiate and excellent negotiation can really save you a huge amount of time and f- money at the end of the day. Brilliant. Excellent. Okay, wonderful. Well, um, is there anything else that we have missed out on there in terms of tips that we have when you're looking to buy a franchise? I also think it's very important to not only understand the business model, but just to really work out if a franchise is the right franchise for the time or the territory that you're in. For example, I think it was about 15 years ago, Starbucks was obviously massively popular in America and overseas. And in Melbourne, Star- uh, Melbourne has a huge coffee culture and all of a sudden Starbucks just popped up everywhere and they probably thought this is a great business model. We do coffee. They know coffee. Mm. This is just going to, you know, make the bucks. Mm. And, you know, that well, they didn't take into account that Melbourne people a coffee snobs and they've got a very um, <laughs> European taste in coffee. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're used to the European style coffee and mm. all these huge amount of Starbucks, they came in and they all failed mm. and they all disappeared and many people would have lost a huge amount of money. So just because things work really well in America or somewhere else, it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to translate mm. to the territory. Mm. And the other thing is the time. For example, you know, in the early 2000s, Blockbuster was such a huge franchise. Everyone knew their name. Mm. Everyone was hiring DVDs and videos. I know, right. And you used to go in there, I remember, and just spend ages looking through which <laughs> which one would you take out and then you, know, you can only have it for a number of days. And yeah. Oh, my goodness. And that was part of the fun in itself, going to Blockbuster, almost as good as seeing the movie. But when Netflix approached them, Blockbuster, many years ago and said, let's try and do a deal, Blockbuster just didn't understand the model. They didn't understand why people would want to watch movies over the computers Mm. or the laptops or TV. And they just kept up with the same model and that's obviously led to its downfall. So I think, yeah, when you're buying an existing franchise, you need to look at the history, but you've also got to realise that the history doesn't always, it won't always translate to sales in the future. Mm. And an existing franchise like Blockbuster, they should have been more astute and looked at different opportunities and more competition and maybe changed their business model. Mm. That might have been helpful. Mm. Oh, look, absolutely fascinating. Nicole, thank you so much for taking us for a walk through this area. Um, And obviously, you know, there's a lot to think about um, when you're buying any sort of business, but even more so when you're buying a franchise. 
just from the perspective that there's often a lot more paperwork. <laughs> there's a lot yes. of paperwork in buying a franchise, isn't there? Yeah. You know, yes. I, I have. I feel like the franchisors have competitions to see who can get the longest um, agreement. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is true. But look, I guess one of the advantages for a franchisee, it's highly regulated. So if there is a dispute, it's very clear under the franchise code what you need to do, how you can sell the business, all that is quite highly regulated and it is Mm. there to protect the franchisee. So a lawyer that's experienced in franchise law would know that and could really help some franchisees either negotiate the franchisee or, you know, get out of certain messes that they're in. Brilliant. Well, wonderful. Thank you so much, Nicole. Um, It's been so great to have you here talking about all of this area that obviously, you know, inside and out, um, I really enjoyed (laughs) having a walk back through some of those memory lanes of Blockbuster. Yes, yes. Fabulous. Well, wonderful. Um, Thank you very much for coming on to the show today, Nicole. Thank you for having me. Well, that's it for this episode of The Deal Room Podcast with our very own Nicole Siegel from Aspect Legal talking all about the top legal tips when buying a franchise. Now, if you'd like more information about this topic or if you would like to get a download of the checklist of the things that Nicole Siegel talked about on this episode and more for you to look through if you're looking at buying a franchise, then check out our website at thedealroompodcast.com. There you'll be able to download a transcript of this podcast episode and you'll also be able to download that checklist that I talked about directly from the website. And of course, we'll link straight through to that in our show notes as well. And via our website, you'll also be able to find details of how to contact Nicole and our other legal eagles at Aspect Legal. If you or your clients would like to discuss any legal aspects of sales or acquisitions of franchises um, or indeed any other business, we've got a number of great services to help businesses both on the acquisition side and on the exit side. So don't hesitate to get in contact today. Well, that's it. I hope you enjoyed listening into this episode. We'll definitely have Nicole back and we'll talk in the next episode that we have Nicole on about the top legal tips in selling a franchise. So look out for that. But in the meantime, hope you're having a fabulous morning, afternoon, evening, wherever it is when you're listening to this. And we'll look forward to having you back for our next episode of the Deal Room Podcast. You've been listening to Joanna Oki. Thanks again. See you next time. Have you heard of Aspect Legal's partner program? Our partner program is a free program that's open to brokers, corporate advisors, accountants, and any other advisors to businesses who are dealing with organizations that are leading into a sale or acquisition of businesses or shares. As part of our partner program, we offer free access to our legal hotline, which is a support line to our specialist lawyers. We also provide a pre-free sale legal review to buyers and sellers where we educate them about the process and timelines from a legal perspective. And the third element that forms part of this partner program is a match-up database that we run where effectively we're able to connect up accountants or brokers or corporate advisors with businesses who are looking to either sell or acquire. 
So if you're a partner of ours, you go straight into that partner database and where we can see opportunities to provide matchups, then we introduce you. And the final element of our partner program is ongoing education in the form of seminars, webinars and meetups. And that's something new that we're introducing into the partner program in early 2020. So if you're not a partner, then all you need to do to become a partner is just pop us an email at partners at aspectlegal.com au and just simply say in your subject column, I want to become a partner. It's as easy as that to get immediate access to our free legal hotline and all of those other resources. We look forward to having you on board as a partner. Ladies and gentlemen, Ladies and gentlemen. that will conclude this evening's entertainment. Thanks for listening to The Deal Room Podcast. To find out more about this episode and other episodes in the series, check out the show notes or head over to our website at thedealroompodcast.com.au.